I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugene McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Rick Safris, et c'est le podcast du Gidecolo Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? I have made it to 100 episodes. I couldn't be more grateful for all the support. And I have saved a tremendously important interview for my 100th episode. It is none other than Michelle Odond, who has authored at least a dozen books. My favorite is The Functions of the Orgasms, but we've got Do We Need Midwives, Childbirth in the Age of Plastics, Childbirth and the Evolution of Homo Sapiens, Planet Ocean. The list goes on and on and on. Michelle is a legend in the maternity care space, hailing from Paris, France. The guy has philosophized more in a more elegant way than virtually any author, living author, on the topic. So this interview was such an honor, and I feel very, very grateful to be able to host this conversation for you on the podcast. So you're going to love this one. This is the 100th episode of the Holistic Obituary Podcast. If you've been with me from the beginning, thank you. If you have been touched in any way, continue to share these episodes far and wide. If you haven't left a review, please leave a five-star review on the Apple Podcasts app. It means so much to the algorithm, etc. Because I want to keep bringing conversations like this one with Dr. Odon to you, to your ear holes. So thanks for your continued support. You're going to love this interview. Of course, in order to bring interviews like this to the main stage, we have to have sponsors. And this episode has several companies have jumped on board to support me in this work. And I want to tell you a little bit about them real quick. The first off is Full Well Fertility. They make the best prenatal vitamin on the market, and they make a men's virility vitamin. There are so many people coming to me for fertility support. They've been passed around to multiple specialists. They've had multiple surgeries and procedures. They've been on all these injectable hormones, etc. or I shouldn't even call them hormones, analogs. These are endocrine disruptors, but they overhaul your endocrine system to force your body to get pregnant. And of course, I like working with people 90 days beforehand so we can get the woman's soil as healthy as possible on a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual level, but also the man. It takes two to tango. And men are like, hey, am I, you know, it's like kind of a women's thing. It's not a woman's thing, especially when we consider that 40 to 50% of couples are suffering from fertility challenges due in part at least to a man's sperm count, morphology, motility, not being optimal you know, 50 to 60 years ago, even, even that recently, without all of the industrial crap in our food, our water, our air, one single ejaculate would have upwards of 100 million sperm. Now, 20 million is considered normal. So the men's like, yeah, I've got a clean bill of health. Well, you don't because normal is probably the wrong word. Common to have 20 million sperm is probably more reasonable. Is it normal that our fertility rates are declining and that men's fertility count or sperm count is dropping so rapidly? Part of the problem is that we've got cell phones with these four powerful modems in it sitting in our pockets, centimeters from our gonads. And also it's because we are lacking the basic lifestyle principles like movement, breathing, sleep, 
mindset, etc. And of course, nutrition being a critical factor. I get all of my men eating oysters. I get them taking less time in the sauna, losing the tight-fitting shorts, maybe losing their underwear altogether. And I get them on Fullwell's Men's Virility Vitamin. It includes all the stuff that you find in those aphrodisiac oysters, <laughs> like zinc, magnesium, selenium, etc. So much nutrition packed in those little oysters. But as an insurance policy, just like with their prenatal vitamin, find yourself a high-quality men's virility vitamin that doesn't have a bunch of junk, a bunch of artificial food coloring and dyes and all this other stuff. Go to Full Well Fertility. You've got all of your needs met there. For the women, we've got your prenatal vitamins. We've got fish oil for the men. We've also got fish oil, but they've got a men's virility vitamin that I definitely want you to start taking if you're on this journey. Use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10% at Full Well Fertility. Next up is Organifi. My buddy Drew has put together an incredible lineup. I take their green juice in the morning. I take their red juice in the afternoon. And then I finish off my evening with a scoop of their gold latte, which is rich in turmeric, which of course, you know, turmeric contains curcumin, a powerful antioxidant. It also contains a couple of functional mushrooms, lemon balm, magnesium, so many different compounds in order to optimize your nutritional status. And this gold latte helps you ease into sleep because of its magnesium, because of its turmeric. You mix it up with some heavy, high-fat, organic coconut milk, and you are in for a treat. It's like, what does Drew say? It's like a marshmallow in autumn had a baby, especially if you've tried their pumpkin spice variety. This time of year, when you're listening to this, they're going to be creeping into the winter season. So they've got a chocolate version of their gold latte, which is fabulous. They sent me a canister and I have devoured it. I don't even think I have any left. I have to check. <laughs> if you want to try any of Organifi's products, I recommend getting the green, the red, and the gold. Go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on your purchase. Stock up because a lot of these seasonal varieties, like the pumpkin spice latte, is being kind of ushered out. It's only there for a limited time and the chocolate is no exception. So stock up on chocolate. It's the greatest, most healthy alternative to hot chocolate that your whistle has ever been uh, privy to. <laughs> so yes, go to Organifi.com slash beloved and you will be able to save some money and try everything that your heart and your guts desire. And then next we have BirthFit. BirthFit is a pregnancy and postpartum specific lifestyle program. At BirthFit, they are fully in alignment with me because they believe that full autonomy starts with radical responsibility. If you want to have full autonomy over your birth, you have to take care of yourself. You have to load up with the best prenatal vitamins. You've got to nourish yourself through the green, red, gold drinks provided by Organifi. And you have to move well. You have to sleep well. That's what BirthFit's all about. Let's help you orchestrate your lifestyle in such a way that you can be completely autonomous with who is attending your birth, where you're going to have your baby, whether or not you're going to be able just to wait casually until birth happens 40, 41, 42 weeks, as opposed to those OBGYNs telling you, hey, it's better to have the baby now. And it's at like 39 weeks. If you want to have full autonomy, you have to take radical responsibility for your temple. And it starts with programs like BirthFit. So what this program offers, in addition to everything I've mentioned, is general strength and conditioning with a fine, fine adjustments in order to optimize your nervous system, human movement, foundational movements, core and pelvic floor exercise, basics. I mean, this is really everything you want all in one package. It's truly comprehensive. And they have the B community, which is a community made by women for women for you to meet other people on this journey 
share ideas, ask questions, get your questions answered. And as a part of the B community, in addition to this being a healthy version of Facebook, you're also going to be invited to exclusive webinars by renowned experts in the field. If you're into cyclical strength and conditioning before, during, and after birth, if you're into community, if you want the best of the best, look no further than BirthFit. And as a listener of the podcast, they're going to give you a free month to the B community using code BELOVED. Just go to birthfit.com, redeem that code BELOVED. You'll get your free month access. After that, it's only $24.99. You're not going to want to go anywhere else. This is the full deal all wrapped up in one package. I bet if you're in there and you ask about Fullwell and Organifi and other companies like Bioptimizers, you are definitely going to hear this. It's an echo chamber. People know that there are good brands out there. And that's the reason I align myself with these brands. We can't do it without them. Thank you to my sponsors for supporting this. And thank you to you guys for making purchases from companies that really, really care about the world. You know, look at Organifi, for example. We're talking non-GMO, all organic, glyphosate residue-free this is actually good for the planet as well. All of this is wrapped up into my initiative, my agenda, if you want to call it that, to change the world by first changing how we attend to our bodies and the birth process as a whole. And of course, my guest today, this is like all totally tied up into his work. As I mentioned, his books go beyond just the basics of birth. It goes into how do we take care of the planet we take care of ourselves. We take care of birthing people. We are part of nature. We are not at war with nature. Michelle O'Don is a legend. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Let's dive right in. Here is my dear mentor, my friend, and your guest today, Michelle O'Don on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Michelle, welcome to my program here, the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Thank you for inviting me to talk with you. Thank you. As a sort of preface to the conversation, I wanted to remind everybody what you said, which is that your ears are 92 years old and English is not your first language. French is your first language. So I'm going to try to speak as articulately as possible because we're also five or six hours apart talking from across Plus, the world. Yes, maybe technical problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Michelle, you've been dare I say, a hero to me for many years. When I was early in my medical training, I found your work and realized that perhaps there was a different way to look at birth work. So I want to thank you first off for just the experience that you gave me, which was an alternative view of how to practice medicine in women's health. So I wanted to thank you for that first. Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> I'd like, I'm curious, I'd like to know a little more about you, but start talking as you want, <laughs> introduce a topic as you want. Yeah, so I'm an OBGYN, and I did all of my training at a big medical system called Kaiser Permanente out on the West Coast of the United States, and I became very disillusioned with the amount of interventions and the way that it didn't really seem like informed consent was being acquired. You know, there wasn't a real conversation around the risks, the benefits, the alternatives. It was just like, this is the way we do it. There's sharp things, there's hands in places where they don't belong. And very quickly, I realized I didn't want to be in that system anymore. So I'm curious, when people bring up your work, the great Michel Odant, they always say, you kind of remind me of Dr. Odant. And of course, that's a real privilege for me to hear that. Like, what an honor to be compared to you. But I think what's really special about your story is that, you know, much older than I am, 
And it wasn't as easy to do that, to step out of the system. So I'm wondering, when you started realizing that birth is maybe not a medical procedure, pregnancy is not a disease? Yes, I think it's an important way, a useful way to start our conversation. I'll start by emphasizing that originally, I am not an OBGYN. I'm not an obstetrician. Originally, I am a surgeon. I'm a surgeon educated in the 1950s. That is to say, the decade when the new technique of cesarean section, the low segmental, became frequently used. Before that time, in general, the midwife was asking the surgeon to do a cesarean section. And at that time, in general, it was a classical corporeal cesarean section. So while I was trained as a surgeon in the Lancet, I've been presented as one of the last general surgeons because it happened that in one day I did yeah. operate the prostate appendicitis, a broken leg, and once in the Lancet, I said I was one of the last general surgeons as we were educated in the 1950s. And as a part of training work for what we had to do in the 50s, in the context of emergency surgery, there were caesarean sections. Common scenario was a midwife asking the surgeon, please, can you do a caesarean section? So this is how I started. Wow. After spending six months in the maternity unit of a Paris hospital as a medical student, what we call externe in French, you know, six months. So I already had a certain background in obstetrics, although at that time my project was not to become an obstetrician. But, so I have to explain that, plus important detail, that in 1958-1959, I was in the French army during my military duty during in Algeria. And at that time, the local surgeon trained me to practice the better way, the new segmental technique of cesarean section. So in terms of history, it's an important point. Important point because in 1962, back to normal life after being in the army, I was in charge of the surgical unit of a state hospital an hour from Paris. That was 1962. So I was there to, in charge of the surgical unit. Wow. But in that hospital, there was a small maternity unit, two midwives, 200 births a year, managing when that problem calling a local surgeon was still doing corporeal cesarean section. And when they knew my background, because officially, no doctor was in charge of the unit. Yeah. And this was in the 60s, you said. So I was involved by chance. Yeah. By chance. I was in childbirth. I found that interesting to talk with the midwife, you know, to ask questions. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? In a rural area where women were not, at that time, were not thinking a lot of going to a hospital to give birth, you know. Hospital was the place you go well, much more for, for dying or something. 
so I became interested in the environment of the birth process. All these women from rural area were not comfortable in the hospital. So have to be fast. Gradually, we reconsider everything. For example, creating a home birth, a home-like birthing home. You can forget you are in the hospital. Inviting women to come to the hospital for singing together. Introducing originally a plastic paddling pool so that women could relax during the first of labor if it was not easy. I summarized, but it was not overnight, you know, it was. So the result, the result, when arrived, there were 200 births a year in 1,097, we had 1,000 births a year. Wow. We went from 200 to 1,000 births a year. So from that time, 1977, until my retirement from from the hospital career, I was every year the only doctor in charge of 1,000 births a year wow. with six midwives. Had no time for surgery mm. except a little bit of gynecologic surgery. I had young doctors assisting me for surgery. And so I was not an obstetrician originally, but during many years, I've been the only doctor in charge of uh, 1,000 births a year in a hospital. After my hospital career, I also practiced home birthing. Yeah. So that to say that one reason why probably I don't think the usual way <laughs> is that, in fact, I had an interdisciplinary perspective, you know, yeah. the sense of what is important, what is less important. For example, one day on the same day, I did a gastrectomy for an elderly woman in the 80s for cancer on the stomach. And on the same day, a woman came and gave birth to a bridge baby. Everything was okay. <laughs> but I thought in retrospect, what was really important? The life expectancy of uh, octogenarian, <laughs> woman in the 80s with a stomach cancer, and this baby, bridge birth, bridge birth, who have the life expectancy of 80 years or more. What? And gradually, I realized what I was doing in a small maternity unit originally, finally, was perhaps what more important yeah. that I was doing in a surgical unit. It's an unexpected way to have for you wow. to summarize my career. <laughs> People all constantly think I am an OBGYN, yeah. but no, no. Although I've been the only doctor in charge of 1,000 births a year for many years, I'm not an obedient one. That's yeah. why I have a different way of thinking. It's a question of way of thinking, of paradigm way of thinking, and gradually understood what is important regarding birth physiology among humans, reconsidering everything. And I think that when you have to reconsider everything, when you think a different way compared with others, the important point 
is to start from a useful question. Mm. Important point is which question is your point of departure? At the present time, when you consider what you learned in textbook, what you read, what burst physiology, what was the point of the question? The question was, why are human births difficult? <laughs> why are they difficult? And the answer, oh, mechanical reasons. Shape of the head, baby. Too big a baby, too small a pelvis. Yes, they show you pictures. And in fact, what you understand, for mechanical reasons, human births are difficult, full stop. You are not curious after that. You cannot change the shape of the body. So because probably of my own way to be involved in childbirth, I was starting from another question. Because most of the time, the midwife were not calling me in the hospital. It was not common, not common. And my question was much more, why occasionally are human birth easy and fast? Mm. For me, this is the important question. And perhaps it's one more common at that time, in the middle of the 20th century, that some women, occasionally, who had nothing special in terms of morphology, could give birth so quickly. No time to go to the hospital. You know, that, that's very fast, very fast, easy and fast. That would be the basis of the useful question. Mm. Why among humans? Childbirth is occasionally easy and fast. Right. That instead of always wondering, why is it difficult? Yeah. Yeah. And if you start from that, if you have the help of anecdotes, if you take into consideration what we can learn from the modern neurophysiological perspective, you realize that until now we have overestimated the importance of mechanism. So I mentioned anecdote. There was an important anecdote in my way of thinking. I think it was 1964. Timing is important. (laughs) At that time, I have a friend working in a pharmaceutical firm, and he told me, we have a new molecule at our disposal, a new substance. It's called gamma butyric acid, G, B. It's roughly the same as gamma, gamma amino butyric acid, gamma, you know. They say that is a neuromediate which is inhibiting, with inhibitory effect, neocortical activity. So it was something new, and perhaps it has a future in anesthesiology. In French, it was called gamma wash. It's gamma immunobituric acid. So it doesn't matter. So he gave me this drug saying, some people say that it works like oxytocin. Could you try? He sent me some bottles. Wow. So we use these bottles first time. So, and when you having a women had a drip, of this gamma immunobituric acid. They are completely crazy, <laughs> screaming, shouting, 
walking naked in the corridor, impossible. It was unacceptable, hospital setting. But Mimi was born quite right away. And that, for me, is a turning point in my way to understand the birth process. The effect of gamma immunobutyric acid, GNP, neuromediator, which I repeat, you know, has an inhibitory effect of neuroparticular activity. What I understood, it was not working like oxytocin. It was eliminating, reducing neocortical control. And this is how I understood what is essential among birth physiology. The, I understood the solution nature found to make human birth possible is to eliminate neocortical or to reduce oh. neocortical activity. In other words, get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Understanding the concept of neocortical inhibition, the fact that the our neocortex so developed among humans only <laughs> can inhibit some physical functions. After that, I had other anecdotes that I could interpret thanks to what I had learned previously. For example, a woman by chance, beginning of labor, remember, and she was given a glass of champagne. The neighbor was celebrating <laughs> She said to this woman in pre-labor to drink a glass of champagne. The woman was happy. <laughs> oh, glass of champagne. She had not the time to reach the birthing room. Baby was born in the corridor. Wow. You know that champagne, bubbles, they bring alcohol directly. Yeah, 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 of course. So that was another interesting anecdote. This is the basis of my understanding of birth physiology among humans. And this should be the main topic today. The point is not, as we usually do, why so many interventions? Why so many design sections? It's not that. Important point is a cultural misunderstanding of birth physiology. The point is not the attitude of doctors, other people, or of health professionals. Culturally, we have not understood the basic need of a liberal women. So we have to rediscover this basic need. And to understand the real issue, we have to go back to the beginning of the socialization of childbirth. I must recall that it started about 10,000 years ago. It's an aspect of the domination of nature. 10,000 years ago, our ancestors started to dominate nature, you know, domesticating plants, agriculture, animals, and husband. But what we forget to say, that at the same time, they started to domesticate human beings, in particular, physiological functions related to reproduction. We know today, because some human groups maintain a paleolithic way of living until the 20th century. We can say for almost sure that before the Neolithic revolution, in Paleolithic time, 
women used to isolate themselves to give birth. That, that to say, recent, but this turning point is recent. 10,000 years ago is recent. So before that time, women were isolating themselves. An interesting point, those who have studied cult groups, human groups, that have maintained until the 20th century, the Paleolithic way of life, always mention that women used to isolate themselves to give birth. But interesting point, they never talk, mention about the dangers of childbirth. They talk about young children who died, accident, diseases, they talk about that a lot. But nothing about death when giving birth, neonatal death and so nothing. It's an interesting point. Why? Why? No. Why? Is it to say that there have been thousands of years of natural selection? For hundreds of thousands of years, if a woman could not give birth, she could not transmit her genes. That's just after puberty, probably. And they were not disturbed by the socialization of childbirth. So this was really the turning point. And this is exactly what we have to realize now. To realize this turning point that suddenly human birth was socialized. To understand what's happening now, we have to understand the previous turning point. Domination of nature, human birth were socialized. It means that often there was somebody there when the woman was giving birth. That's the root of midwifery. And from that time, neonatal beliefs and rituals interfering with birth physiology were transmitted to generation, often very aggressive, very, uh, an example for that perinatal period. Belief that Colostrum, early colostrum is bad for the baby. Was almost authorized to find the breast at the age of two or three days. It was still like that when I was in the maternity unit in Paris in 1953. Babies could not have the breast. Cultural conditioning, anti-natal cultural conditioning. At that time, the basis of our cultural conditioning was that a woman has not the power to give birth by herself. She needs somebody helping, guiding, controlling. She needs somebody. Birth must be socialized. That's the turning point. Until now, look at books about childbirth today. Until now, if you want to understand our cultural conditioning, what are the keywords? The keywords are not about mother and baby the two obligatory actors. No. The keywords are about other people. The keywords are helping, guiding, controlling. This one is very typical. It's an American book. Yeah. By Bradley. <laughs> From Bradley, yeah. Dr. With Bradley. A coach. Uh-huh. What does it mean? That Bradley, you know, second half of the century, Bradley, Dr. Bradley, to give birth, he was a coach. He was a guru in natural childbirth. But that, to say, what to say that the misunderstanding of birth physiology was cultural and reaching, in particular, 
the gurus of natural childbirth. You need a coach. That means you are unable to give birth. Okay, another company that is sponsoring this episode that makes these incredible conversations, which I hope you're enjoying with Dr. Adon here, making these conversations possible is none other than my friends Mimi and Chase over at the Medicine Podcast. They have an incredible product called Immune Intel HCC. HCC stands for Active Hexose Correlated Compound. It's a cultured functional food made from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms. You're used to hearing about the fruiting bodies of mushrooms. That's what they sell in the store. But what about those mycelial networks? It's like the original internet and everything under your feet is being connected. Every part of nature, the entire biosphere is connected by mycelia. So it's no surprise that by taking a product made from the mycelia of shiitake that you're going to have an incredible host of health benefits. The number one thing that people come to me about for which I'm recommending Immune Intel HCC is that this product is the only product, the only functional food that has been clinically demonstrated to help clear persistent HPV infections. If you don't know what human papillomavirus is, it's a virus that, like other viruses, brings a message in from the outside. Your body takes that message, integrates it into its inner workings, and then you go on living your life. The problem is that not everybody is healthy enough to integrate the messages carried by viruses. Remember, viruses are not living things. They're messengers from outside. And if your body is unable to integrate that message, disease and pathology can arise later. In the case of HPV, you develop abnormal cells in your cervix. Those cells can become cancer. And then we have the dreaded cervical cancer. And what generally happens is when you go get your routine PAP or HPV testing, is that they may look and see, oh, there's some early cells that could become that. And if we strengthen your immune system and get you sleeping better, get you eating well, get you eating Organifi's products, taking high quality vitamins from Fullwell, maybe even get you into a community like BirthFit where everybody's been dealing with the same things. You get your lifestyle in order, your body is better equipped to integrate the message as opposed to having some disruption happen in your molecular makeup that leads to cancer down the road. So getting rid of HPV when it persists is definitely critical, especially if you're a woman. Us men, we carry the virus, we give it to other people, but we don't necessarily become sick. You can develop cancerous anal warts, etc. But the bottom line is that a healthy immune system is reflective of a vital person. So in addition to HCC, Immune Intel HCC, helping to clear HPV infection, it also helps with all of those other things that result from immune dysregulation like Lyme disease, autoimmune conditions, cancer, acne, skin conditions, herpes, liver disease, and even medication-resistant epilepsy. If you want to listen to my interview with these guys, go and check that out. I believe it was episode 68, and that's with Mimi Lindquist and Chase Ramey, two of my good friends. And if you want to try active hexose correlated compound made by Immune Intel, head over to themedicine.com slash products. That's T-H-E-M-E-D-I-C-I-N.com slash products. Use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10%. And if you're wondering how this works, it not only increases the number of immune cells that help clear cancers and help clear these tricky viruses like your NK cells and T cells, it also improves the communication between them very much like the mycelia in the ground beneath your feet connects the biosphere. It also helps to regulate your stress hormones. It decreases systemic inflammation. This is an all-around great product for anybody who's seeking optimal health. So again, that's the medicine without the E dot com slash products. 
and use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10%. Get yourself a couple bottles, especially if you've got a persistent HPV infection. Save yourself the painful biopsies, the LEAP procedures, the cold knife cone procedures, and ultimately save your life. You don't want to develop cervical cancer. This is real, really, really bad news. That's themedicine.com slash products, code BELOVED10 to save 10%. Thank you guys for supporting the show. All right, let's get back into this amazing conversation with the one and only Michelle Odant. Well, Michelle, let me ask you a quick question real quickly. Since you trained as a general surgeon, I'm sure people over time have asked you, like, for example, as a surgeon, you were able to save people's lives who in the past, when nature just took its toll, would have died. How would you respond to that whenever somebody says, but doctors do save lives? That was just obvious, yes. The point is not that. Yeah. The, point, <laughs> the point is to understand what this cultural condition is. Right, right. Uh, it's sure that uh, when I was receiving a guy with a fatted ulcer, I could save his life. I know that anybody else. But it's not a reason yeah. not to study the effect of neutralized laws of natural selection. Yeah, yeah. Because your question is important. Because in this case, you think of individuals. This guy will die if I don't operate perforated ulcer. But when we talk natural selection, we our question is how long can humanity survive after neutralizing the laws of natural selection? Yeah, right, right. So you in fact you introduce important points. It's as we have reached a time when we have to train ourselves to think long term. Until now, when we're involved in childbirth, you are happy, mother is healthy after the birth, baby is alive, you are happy. But we have reached a time. We have to think what about the future of our species yeah. if from now on women don't need to release hormones of love to give birth. Mm-hmm. It's what's happening today at a global level with substitutive pharmacology, mm-hmm. you know, type of synthetic oxytocin, uh, epidural and so on, or cesarean section at a global level, at the level of the species. We can say today, women, we can say today, hormones of love Mm. are useless, redundant in the critical period surrounding birth. Damn, so I what love you that. said is appropriate to say, to say, of course, until now, we've been thinking short term. But the point is that now, now, when we are the prisoners of short-term thinking, the point is that we are the prisoners of short-term thinking. We don't want to train ourselves to think long term. That's why we are apprentice sorcerers. Because we are not training ourselves to think long term. We think now obligatory about the evolution of the climate as an effect of uh, human activities, pollution of the ocean. But we never think at the present time of the evolution of Homo, our species, in relation to modern lifestyle, in particular, in relation to what happens during the critical period surrounding birth. So that's where the middle core of the problem. Yeah, yeah. 
I love that. For them, from now on, to train ourselves to think long term, change our way of thinking, entering a new paradigm, a new paradigm. So that's that's the point. So that's why what I wanted to say. Yeah. That today we must not wonder why human births are difficult. We must wonder why is it occasionally easy. Yeah. And if we start from that, we understand the solution that nature found to make human birth occasionally easy and fast. Simple solution, neocortex will stop working. And I am sure that among people who will follow our conversation, some of them, even now, 21st century, some of them will understand this solution found by nature. Some of them still know that when a woman is giving birth easily by herself, no need for nothing, but there is a time when she's cutting herself off from her world, forgetting what she learned, what she read, mm. forgetting her plans. Forgetting. She can behave in a strange way, shouting, screaming, swearing, mm-hmm. details people don't notice. Women in hard labor can perceive others that other people cannot perceive. And that's an important point because the sense of smell, it has been well demonstrated, is one of the human physiological functions which is inhibited by neocortical activity. If you drink a glass of wine, alcohol, after that, your sense of smell is more powerful. That's a wonderful way to understand the concept of neocortical inhibition, the sense of smell. And women in hard labor by ourselves, people don't notice that because they think of mechanics. But suddenly can perceive others, have stories, mm. anecdotes. Women were adamant that somebody has been smoking there. So it's a very important point. And also, you understand the solution found by nature when you notice that women in hard labor, easy labor, fast labor, you can find bizarre postures, quadrupedal, mammalian, primitive postures. And the day after the birth, often they forgot how they gave birth. They don't yeah. many details. So when you bring all these things together, you don't need to talk too long to understand, and that's what we have to rediscover today. That's the point. We must stop trying to help women to give birth or to guide them, to control them, or to coach them. We must protect them. The key word suddenly is protection against inhibitory factors. <laughs> and among humans, the main inhibitory factors are in the framework. It's the important point among humans is to reduce neocortical activity. That what the revolution we are expecting, the rest is blah, blah, blah. You know? The point is not to be critical about group of people, doctors. They just share. Doctors, they share the cultural misunderstanding right. right. of their physiology. Like right. everybody, like it's cultural. It's cultural. And if this point is understood, after that, right, easy. Don't stimulate the neocortex of a woman in labor. 
It's simple. Yeah. It means but don't talk to her. No, never, that, the worst thing to do is to talk to a woman lover. Neocortical stimulation. Careful light. <coughs> In the age of artificial light. Not serious. Don't uh, avoid such situation that a woman will have to pay attention to something. If you observe her, she will observe herself. That neocortical stimulation. If she perceives something strange, worrying, that details important. The yeah. important point today is that we must realize that the concept of neocortical inhibition is a key to understanding human nature in particular in general and some physiological function. And among these physiological functions, there is the parturition. So here we are, we are, we are at this turning point. You know? yeah, this is yeah. my message at the end of my, my life. You know, I have to go into That's your legacy. via war surgery and so on and so on. That probably. So it's a new way of thinking. Today, whatever the topic, we must change our way of thinking. Yeah. And we must give a great importance to the keyword protection. Stop helping, guiding, controlling, and so on. Protect, protect. Protect, passive protection against all neocortical activities. The point is the, to introduce the keyword protection. So in where at the present time, I'm think you gave me the opportunity yeah, yeah. <laughs> to right away to jump on what is really uh, finally essential. Yeah, yeah. We are far from probably from what you are expecting, you know. <laughs> Because the important point is my interdisciplinary perspective. Yeah. What uh, the big handicap today is that people are over-specialized. And uh, one effect of specialization, of excess of specialization, is to make us blind. So that's perhaps a way to go back to your question. Yeah. That, in fact, I always had an interdisciplinary perspective. The surgeon, but at the same time, yeah. in childbirth, it's the, an interdisciplinary perspective. It's not a pluridisciplinary perspective, not pluri, inter. That between the perspective, not specialized, establishing links, links between phases of physiological process, the links between. I'll give you an example. We know a lot but what I call human birth preparation. Just to say, physiologically speaking, what happens during the days before the labor starts? For example, we know today from MRI, brain imaging, that some parts of the gray matter involved in socialization shrink, their volume is decreasing during the death following birth, as if the need to desocialize already starting before the labor start. Oh, that's interesting. That's but it does not come from obstetrical milieus. It comes from pure scientists, you know, from Netherlands and, and Spain. In the same way, the, the level of melatonin, darkness hormone, an essential birth hormone, working with the oxytocin, the melatonin concentration 
the methodology is increasing. Before the beginning, the days, before the birth, during the phase of birth preparation. That's incredibly important. It means at the end of when the woman is at the end of her pregnancy, she needs to live in peace. Mm. It's preparing. But people don't hesitate to talk about risk, but uh, last uh, leave the woman first in peace, except if it's really something very important. So uh, just to say, because of the over-specialization, we don't study in depth in a useful way period of transitions, uh, what happened between pregnancy and parturition. Mm. After that, the link between parturition and lactation. We have to, we are the prisoners of a specialization, of a specialization plan. So this is also perhaps an aspect of my message. It is when I'm age 92, as you said, <laughs> like my, my life, in fact, in general, I have looked at human nature from a great diversity of perspectives. Yeah. Being in a maternity unit is not the same as doing war surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we need that today. I think so. And I know for anybody out there who doesn't know your work, you've written at least 20 books on a wide variety of topics, not just birth, but also sort of the human experience, the future of mankind, the health of the oceans, etc. And the message for me, the reason I even asked the question of you in the beginning was when I do a lot of interviews, people want to know, why don't more people think like you? Or why is there so many interventions in birth? Why are they teaching doctors to do this? And a big part of my message is, it's because that's what our culture has decided, that we can control every aspect. But some of your language blends so nicely into that. And I'm also a hospice doctor. I don't know if you have a different word for it in French, but end of life, feel like an end of life doctor. (laughs) And that was additional year of training for me. And this war against nature has started to equate to living being equitable with merely avoiding death. In other words, to live our life, everything is okay as long as you're not dying. So if we look at what happened, let's say, with the pandemic, what happens at the end of life, what happens in birth, virtually every intervention that we do in medicine is to avoid the reality that we're eventually going to die. What does our time look from now until then? doesn't matter. Just run as fast as you can from your own mortality. Yes, that's why we avoid, we avoid topics. For example, the, the neutralization of the laws of natural selection. Right, right, right. That's an essential topic. You know, today, a woman transmits her genes even if she cannot give birth. Yeah. It's good for her. She's happy with that. But we have to think in terms of species, the same from conception. It's suddenly, it's absolutely new that we have Mm. neutralized the laws of natural selection. Until recently, it was still the opposite. We're reinforcing the laws of natural selection. For example, if a newborn baby was not strong, what they were doing? A cold bath to see if baby will survive to a cold bath. So it was actually amplifying the laws of natural selection. If the baby does not survive, we forget it. Or saying that the colostrum is bad. It has been belief during 
10,000 years. That's the way to reinforce mm. the laws of natural selection. Because some babies perhaps would have survived if they had early colostrum, which is precious but not vital. So it's an interesting point that until the end of the 20th century, our cultural milieus have reinforced to a certain extent the laws of natural selection. And suddenly, that's a turning point, suddenly, with the easy section with uh, many things in terms of uh, fecundity, fertility, we have neutralized the laws of natural selection. Right. A turning point in the history of mammals, <laughs> of life. And people don't realize that, that this important this turning point. It's easy to say we have neutralized the laws of natural selection that have been reinforced for 10,000 of years yeah. after the Neolithic. Yeah, I want to actually push this even further because a lot of people also say things like birth is safe. Compared to what? If you are anesthetized, you're able to watch TV while you're giving birth and everything else. It gives this, you know, that's a typical presentation in the hospital where you can be saved from the process of childbirth and we can use medicines. We can speed it up with medicines. We can use surgical instruments, etc. When a person says that childbirth is safe, I actually don't like that phrase. But which criteria do you use? If it's just perinatal mortality rate, yes. Yeah, exactly. Like compared to what? But there are other criteria. Right. And we are condemned, because we are so powerful now, we are condemned to think long term. Right, right. Whatever the topic, you know, Nuclear waste, we have to think, so today we are, the important point today, the reason it is that we have developed different techniques to be incredibly powerful, very powerful, but we have not developed That's right. capacity to think long term. That's right. That's why we are apprentice sorcerers. Yeah. Being yeah. powerful, but in, unable to think long term. Yeah. That, by definition of the apprentice sorcerers. Discuss at this point, at the present time, in the new edition, French edition, of a book called English Planet Ocean. Yeah, yeah, it just came out, is it this year or uh, last yeah, year? Yeah. Yes, Planet Ocean, it's uh, to say that we cannot study the evolution of Homo without studying, at the same time, the evolution of the planet. Mm. Sea level, something like that. My wheels are turning right now. This idea, this war against nature is so, let's look at end of life. It's so confronting that we in the United States, I'm not so sure about the death rituals or rites of France, but we will embalm the body, put the body into a lead-lined casket, put the lead-lined casket into a concrete tomb, and then buried under the ground. Because the idea of becoming um, worm food, dying and becoming a part of the earth again, is so confronting to us. I think that when you hear people conjecture about the ability of going to Mars, we're going to take humans and go to Mars and live there. I'm confronted by that notion because we are inextricably linked with the ecosystems of the larger ecosystem of planet Earth. Yeah. And people don't realize we cannot 
live apart from it. We evolved with the earth. Mother Earth is a part of us. We are a part of her. And all of everything you've said really plays into this idea. Again, we are separate from Mother Earth, similar to the man in the clouds, the Christian theologies that we can govern over and overpower the earth versus actually going into the current and swimming with Mother Nature. This is it. This is the critical point. It's a critical point, you are right. You know, what I find interesting, to go back to what I said about this book, is that when you consider what has been written yeah. by experts in human evolution, you know, well-known people, books, and you know, there are all books, big books about human evolution without mentioning during the last millions of years the sea level have been fluctuating of something like 200 meters. It goes together. Never they mention that if at a certain phase, most human beings were living in coastal areas along the sea, we'll never find their fossils because now the sea level are high. Yeah. And that's an effect of a specialization. I go back to that in, my, in this book, but in the French edition, which we published in, in October, and we'll have three chapters more, and particularly about neutralization of the laws of natural selection, what we've been talking about. You know? yeah, yeah. And I assume it, I hope it will be the second edition of the English. Yeah. I'm working on that now because. It's good that we finish our conversation about that because we started from precise topics, you know, <laughs> working yeah. in trainers and doctors. Yeah. Finally, we expand the topics, extend we cannot, and finally, and what about the future of Homo? Yeah, yeah. People are interested in the effect of human activities. What about the evolution of Homo? And in particular, in relation to the most the critical phase of life, yeah. highly disturbed, which is the, the period surrounding birth. So finally, what we can remember for our conversation, it is that we started from a precise, simple topic, and thanks to your comments, gradually <laughs> enlarge the topic. Yeah, so, yeah. Thank you. I think it's a good way to conclude our conversation. I think so too, Michelle. Thank you. We can always talk more another time. I want to be very oh, yes. respectful of now your we time. we know each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have friends in France. Rick Safries is a friend of mine. Can you read French? I cannot, no. But I can learn it. If it means enough to you, I would learn. I'd do anything for you, Michelle. I really find your work to be very inspiring. But fortunately, <laughs> I haven't had to learn it because everything was translated into English. So, <laughs> my next edition of this book, enlarged uh, edition, updated, will be in French first. Yeah. Okay. So, well, thank you very much. Are you still the beginning of the day? Yeah. <laughs> or, or it's already afternoon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We keep in touch. We keep in we'll touch. keep in I touch. Yeah. It's to see your smile. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you so much, Michel. And I'll be in touch with you. Thank you again.
Well, thank you so, 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 so much. You know, Michelle, as he mentioned, is 92 years old. So I could have talked to this guy for five to six hours, but we kept it short. We kept it succinct. We'll definitely have him back on the show. I'd love to meet him in person someday. But in the meantime, he sent me an entire collection of every one of his books signed. I will cherish them forever. I will never wash them. Sort of like David Duchovny with it. He's like a hand model in Zoolander. Zoolander, is that what it was called? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he has this like hand encased in like hermetically sealed glass bubble. Like he doesn't want to damage his moneymaker. I feel like those books are just going to live on my shelf. And of course, I've already read them and annotated all over, but they're mine. They're my treasures. If you want to check out Michel's work, you can find all of his books. His name is spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-O-D-E-N-T. Check out what he has been up to. He is an incredible human. What a compassionate doctor, a great model for good doctor behavior and a way to uphold the sacred nature of birth and these transformations of spirit. So thanks again for listening, guys. If you haven't checked out our sponsors. We've got BirthFit. Go to birthfit.com. Use code BELOVED. You'll get one month free access to the B community. Fullwell Fertility. Go to fullwellfertility.com. Use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10% on the best prenatal vitamins, fish oil, men's virility vitamins, and their Nourish Nerves tonic is not to be underemphasized here. Go there, buy their stuff. What an amazing product lineup. Immune Intel HCC, clear your persistent HPV, help with any other immune dysregulation you've got going on by increasing and boosting the interconnectivity within your immune system, decreasing systemic inflammation. This has been clinically demonstrated to do these things, including the HPV clearance rate. Can't recommend them enough. That's Immune Intel HCC. If you want to try it out, go to the medicine, T-H-E-M-E-D-I-C-I-N.com slash products. Use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10%. And last but not least, Organifi. Get their green juice, their red juice, their gold latte. Gold latte makes an incredible evening beverage. Blend it up with some hot water, some full fat organic coconut milk, and you've got yourself the most delicious latte to help ease you into sleep. Balance out those adrenals, balance out that stress response that you've been pushing all day long with the caffeine and everything. Let's take it down a notch, ease into the night with some gold latte. Go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You'll save 20%. That's a huge discount. Take advantage of it now. And while you're on their website, check out their limited edition chocolate edition of their gold latte. Delicious. I will see you guys next time. We're at 101. That's our episode, 101. I have got Kate Morton of Funkit Wellness. We're talking about seed cycling. That's the practice of taking a couple different seeds during the luteal phase of your cycle, a couple different seeds during your follicular phase, balancing out this fatty acid ratio in your body, optimize your cell membrane fluidity, your nervous system, everything in between. This is good for all sorts of things in the women's health world. So I'm so excited for you to hear from Kate Morton. I can be found at BelovedHolistics.com. Remember, nothing on the show is medical advice, but if you do need medical advice, find me there. Join my PCA. You can do consultations. You can buy packages. You can join my collaborator program, which is still open to midwives, coaches, doctors of all sorts. If you need an MD consultant in your corner to help optimize the care for your patients and clients. And I'm also going to be releasing soon my patient's reverence and presence fertility program, the PRP fertility program, whereby you'll meet with me for a couple of sessions. You'll be meeting with seven different practitioners, renowned experts in the space of getting everything from the physical all the way up through the mental, emotional, and spiritual in alignment. So you can save your trip to a $15,000 IVF clinic and instead 
spend it on this program. Let's lay it on the healthiest soil so that if you can't conceive naturally, you've at least laid down the soil. So you have to do this IVF thing one and done. We're going to get you there. I'm here to help you out. My name is Nathan Riley, the Holistic OBGYN. I'm on Instagram at Nathan Riley OBGYN. Find me on all the social medias and I will see you next time with Kate Morton. That'll be on the 14th of December. Take care, everybody. Much love. 